Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're covering agriculture from the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. Your Thanksgiving turkey may cost more this year. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have that story coming up. The impact of a major ice storm on South Plains agriculture. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag today. Within the livestock industry, we use colloquialisms in different regions. In West Texas, we call a castrated male goat a mutton. We'll talk about how that mutton price has increased over the last, oh, say, month on today's edition of our program. I'm Larry Marble reporting from San Angelo. We'll have those stories coming up along with the latest news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domo with news headlines. Wholesale turkey prices are up and production is down due to uncertainty as to how the pandemic will influence consumer decisions this holiday season. According to Dr. David Anderson, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service economist, supply, demand, and the subsequent marketing of holiday turkeys could all be heavily influenced by COVID-19. Turkey production was down 7.7% in October compared to last year. Overall turkey production for the year is down 2.7%. 7%. Wholesale turkey prices were up 19% compared to 2019, but last year turkey prices were 20% below the five-year average. Anderson says the question now is, how will smaller Thanksgiving celebrations affect the turkey market? The first funding deadline for the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, or EQIP, is December 4th. Applications are taken year-round, but deadlines are used to rank and fund eligible conservation projects. EQIP helps landowners and land managers plan and implement conservation practices to help them meet their land management goals, address natural resource concerns, and improve water, plant, animal, air, and related resources on agricultural land and non-industrial private forest land. The second funding deadline for EQIP is February 12th. Interested landowners can apply at their local USDA service center. You may want to call ahead as appointments are required in some offices. Daily entrance fees for all day-use visitors at Texas State Parks will be waived Sunday in honor of active duty and retired military. Rodney Franklin, director of Texas State Parks, said the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and Texas State Parks are proud to honor the men and women that serve our country and the military. He said what better way to celebrate their service and dedication than by spending a day at a beautiful Texas State Park. Due to the pandemic, state parks are still operating at a limited capacity. Those interested in visiting a park are encouraged to reserve a day pass in advance as some parks will reach their capacity limit. You can reserve a day pass on the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department website. Click on the link that says Parks. 
For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Farmers are getting an idea of the damage caused to crops by the recent ice and snowstorm in the Panhandle and Southern Plains. Tom Nicoletti talks with one Lubbock area farmer about the damage in his area. An ice storm October 26th and 27th over numerous counties in West Texas impacted livestock and crops in the region. Eddie Griffiths reports for us now from the Lubbock area. Eddie, farmers who were harvesting their cotton were stopped in their tracks when the storm hit. It did, Tom. It had an impact on pretty much everything in the area. It was one of the worst ice storms in 20 years and still feeling the effects from the ice storm. Electricity in certain areas, probably to the north, northeast of us, still without electricity at this time as crews work trying to get lines back in place and, and poles put back up, but it was quite the ice storm with with all the power losses and, of course, shutting down harvest and, and what wheat was being planted out there. That, that halted that for a few days because the, the storm did bring some moisture to the area, but it was in the form of a sheet of ice. I mean, we saw thunder sleet for a couple of consecutive days. Schools were out for couple of days, and then uh, producers are finally able to get back in the field and get some field work done. There are still some wet areas, and especially when it comes to the cotton harvest, they have to be careful with that. But after that winter storm, it's a uh, mixed bag out there as far as the cotton is concerned. You know, the heavily irrigated, the drip, the, the better cotton probably withstood the storm a little better than dry land acres that were left or, or limited irrigation where it did not have as much protection. So a lot of that cotton on the ground, but it was definitely a nice storm for the ages. It's about as close as we'll probably get to uh, uh, snow in this area, but I know producers are going to be antsy to go ahead and get this crop out and and in the module or in the bin, wherever they need, whatever they need to do with it, wherever they need to take it, because we get many more of those and there will not be a whole lot of crop left out there. How much measurable ice was recorded, if you know that? I'm not quite sure. I, I know on some of my uh, farms, probably, you know, just the ice accumulation probably equated to maybe three quarters to an inch uh, of moisture. Probably more importantly was, you know, what it did to, to the crops. And, and you mentioned the uh, livestock aspect of that. I mean, the moisture is welcome any way we can get it, but uh, the livestock, you know, it's, it's pretty tough on them. It's still not enough to, to give them the supplemental feed they need out there for grazing. So we're still going out there feeding animals and also trying to ensure health with them. You know, we had these, it was our first freeze in the area, so all the crops are done for for this year, you know, that that was the killing frost that we were looking for. That is Eddie Griffiths reporting for us today from the South Plains of Texas. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The price for Texas weathers or muttons has increased lately. Larry Marble takes a look at the goat market from San Angelo. Neighbor, each week I interview Benny Cox from producers in Cargyle to try to get a feel for the market. He mentioned that this last week he saw an increase in the price for muttons, castrated male goats. Some people say weather. 
I asked him to explain. Last week, this seemed to be a real high percentage of them. You know, the majority of the people do not castrate uh, those kid goats. They just take them directly off their mothers and send them to us. And, and a lot of times, there's very little difference. If you're going to sell a goat weighing in that 50 to 60 pound range off his mother, it's it's a little difference a lot of times. But now when you get some of these, uh, and a lot of those last week were on the light side, you know, in the 40s up to the mid-50s, uh, those goats could have gone to the feed pen for a while. And those uh, those castrated males will do better than than, uh, than these billy kids that after they start getting some size on them they're snorting in each other's flanks and riding and all that stuff and right. that, that certainly don't they don't perform quite as well on feed that's part of the reason that those mutton kids especially those lighter kind that would go to the feed pen are worth more than uh than a billy kid to these people that are in that you know in that business right. a lot of those people that went ahead and castrated could they be a part of the group that that may have a small feed yard there at their place and for whatever reason they were looking at the signs this year in the market condition and said well i need to go ahead and pop the cork early some of them will go in there and take those things out and polish those things up to what they think is the optimum weight. And what will happen is generally this market will get better sometime later in the fall. As dry as it was this year, they may feel like it's time to get them off the nannies, put another 10 to maybe 15 pounds on them economically. They'll do that at times. Of course, sometimes that can kind of bite you. Sometimes they'll end up feeding them till they're, you know, sitting there waiting on the market. They'll sit there and feed them till the way up there in that 70, 70 plus, and sometimes it doesn't work quite so well. You know, I've seen people do that, and then they're upset with themselves, or me, which I have a little control over a deal like that. The market's going to give them what it's going to give them. And there's a phrase that we all need to come to understand. The market is going to give you what it's going to give you. Reporting from the San Angelo area, I'm Larry Marble. As election results continue to come in, one thing is for sure. Agricultural policymaking might look a little different over the next several years. David Widmar is an agricultural economist with Agricultural Economic Insights. While votes in many races are still getting counted, Widmar says we do know a couple of important items on the ag policy front. Colin Peterson from Minnesota lost his re-election bid. He's in the House. The Democrat was the chair of the House Ag Committee. And so there's going to be a void in that leadership position. On the Senate side of Congress, Pat Roberts from Kansas had retired. So that position's open. Both of those key Ag Committee chairs are open. They're going to be subject to new leadership. We don't know at this point which way the Senate will go exactly. So right now, there's going to be some new leadership in those positions. Regardless of who steps into the leadership roles in the new year, Widmar says there's going to be a lot of uncertainty to deal with. Early in 2021, we'll start to figure out how those players are going to play together. And then we also have to step back and think about the reality of the field, the reality of the politics. And the reality is the U.S. is still navigating the pandemic. And associated with that is economic uncertainties. There's still a lot of questions about the U.S. economy and how the U.S. economy is going to navigate the next 6 to 12 months. And Congress will still have a lot to do when it reconvenes for the lame duck session, including a decision on whether or not there will be another other stimulus. Does it happen in the next four to eight weeks or does it happen after the inauguration? What's included in that? There was a lot of stuff that got put into a continuing resolution that kept the government going until early December. And so Congress has got to work their way through that as well. There are still a lot of things to get done. And so we got to keep in mind that just because the elections happened and the inauguration is until 2021 doesn't mean that Congress doesn't have a full plate of things to work on here in 2020. That's David Widmar, an agricultural economist with Ag- Agricultural Economic Insights. Some Texas hunters will have to take an extra step to prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease this hunting season. I'm Jessica Dommel and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
There have been a few cats and dogs in the U.S. diagnosed with COVID-19. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at coronavirus in pets. Coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There have been a few cases of dogs and cats here in the U.S. picking up coronavirus or COVID-19, but it has been very few. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd takes a closer look at the issue. We always get lots of questions about COVID-19 affecting dogs and cats, and they can get infected. However, the numbers of infected dogs and cats is very low considering the number of people that have been infected. There may be some dogs and cats that are infected which are not tested because they are not taken to the vet, our symptoms are mild, and they respond to symptomatic treatment and no testing is performed. A cat in California was positive for COVID-19 and died, but the cat also had a heart condition. A nine-year-old German Shepherd in North Carolina was euthanized due to chronic respiratory disease that was intermittent from March to June. A two-year-old dog in Texas tested positive to SARS-CoV-2, but did not develop any symptoms, as this dog was tested because the owners tested positive. A dog in Georgia developed neurologic symptoms and was euthanized, but the neurologic issue was not related to coronavirus. A dog in Arizona tested positive and had signs of respiratory disease, but recovered, and a cat in Texas tested positive and showed no clinical signs. Dr. Ryan Wallace with the CDC has been tracking these cases and indicates all of the dogs and cats that developed severe illness had some sort of underlying health issue, just like many humans that developed severe illness. SARS-CoV-2 was not identified as a cause of death in any of these cases, but it could have contributed. Most dogs and cats diagnosed with COVID-19 have not required treatment, and most do not show clinical signs. So unless your dog or cat has an underlying condition, SARS-CoV-2 is thought at this time to be unlikely to cause a major problem. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Some Texas deer hunters will have to take an extra step this year to prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease. Jessica Domel has more in today's wildlife report. Deer hunters in certain parts of Texas will have to take special precautions to prevent the spread of chronic wasting disease. Alan Kane, the white-tailed deer program leader for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, joins us with more. Hunters that harvest deer in a chronic wasting disease zone, and we've got five of those in the state now. There's one in, in up in the Panhandle. There's a zone up there, one in the Transpacus, one over there by Del Rio in the Valverde County area, one in the South Central Texas area around Medina, Ubaldi County, and then another one up in Kimball County. If a hunter harvests a deer in one of those zones, they're required to have that deer sampled. So it's mandatory sampling of hunter harvested deer in those zones. And they can bring a hunter harvested deer to the check station. There's established in one of those zones. And our biologists are working 
work in those uh, check stations, and they'll pull a sample and submit that to the lab for testing. Again, you can check online on our website to find out the different locations of the check stations within those zones and the hours and dates of operation. Hunters also need to be mindful of carcass movement restrictions in those zones. It only allows you to take out quartered deer. You can't take a whole carcass out of the zone. You can take the antlers out of the zone, but if you're going to take a whole head, you have to have a deer head waiver, and you can get those at the check station there, and, and it allows you to take it directly to the taxidermist if you're going to get that deer mounted. But if you're not, then you need to leave, you know, like the brain material in, in those parts in the zone, and hopefully at the site of harvest or on the ranch you're hunting at. That was Alan Kane from the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. A list of CWD check stations is available on OutdoorAnnual.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dommel. The cattle market traded both sides of unchanged throughout the day on Thursday. We ended up closing mixed, while the cotton market was mixed as well. We'll take a look at all of the closing livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Stay with us right here on Texas Ag Today. back looking at another lopsided matchup jim today we have a combine taking on a train yeah that heavy train is about a thousand times heavier than the combine no competition there right especially given that it'll take at least a mile to stop that train that's 18 football fields it's no contest every day people are injured or killed trying to beat a train at rail crossings see tracks think train this message brought to you by operation lifesaver We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures traded both sides of the market on Thursday. We ended up closing with live cattle mostly higher, feeder cattle mixed. Here's a rundown of the closing prices. December live cattle up 47, 108.35. February up 67, 111.45. April live cattle up 62 at 115.30. Feeder cattle mix, the November down 12, 137.57. January feeders up 25, 135.40. The March down 12 at 134.75. Cash fed cattle market getting some support from that higher futures close all week long. Higher boxed beef prices helping out as well. We did see some sales here in Texas. We started out at 107 on fed cattle this week. And as you move into the north, Nebraska started out at 105, then stepped up to 107. Right now, the Packers still have those 107 bids out there. Some feedlots seem to be holding out. They've been asking 108 this week. And with the higher futures and higher boxed beef, they may just get it. Speaking of higher boxed beef, choice up $1.31 at $211.50. Select up $334.00. At $200.39. Let's check a couple of feeder cattle auctions now. We'll go to Coleman, Texas. Coleman Livestock Auction selling 1,811 head this week. The trend steady to higher. Three to 400 pound steers brought $1.35 to $1.82 a pound. Five to six weight steers $1.25 to $1.74. And seven to eight weights brought $1.10 to $1.35. Slaughter cows, 20 to 62 cents. Slaughter bulls, 65 to 90. 
Stocker cows, 600 to 1285 a head. Cow-calf pairs, 800 to 1375 a pair. Gillespie Livestock in Fredericksburg, selling 1,242 head this week. The trend was steady to higher. Two to three weight steers, $1.40 to $1.85. Three to 400 pounders, $1.40 to $1.90. Five to six weight steers, $1.30 to $1.82 a pound. Five to 600 pounders, $1.20 to $1.58. Six to seven weight steers brought $1.15 to $1.36, with seven to 800 pounders, $1.10 to $1.30 a pound. Slaughter cows, 30 to 60 cents. Slaughter bulls, 75 to 84. Stocker cows brought 600 to 950 ahead. Now back over to the futures market. We saw a higher close in lean hogs. December up $1.07, 67.42. February lean hogs up $1.47, 68.47. Class 3 milk was lower. December milk down 75 cents, 19.42, 100 weight. A mixed close in the cotton market. Still a lot of factors pushing and pulling this market in different direction. We have a falling U.S. dollar. That, of course, helps exports, so that supports prices. But the overall size of the U.S. crop continues to shrink with all these weather events we've had, especially in the Mid-South and the Southeast. And, of course, this big freeze and ice storm we had here in Texas. All of that causing a loss in quality and quantity of the crop. The market's still trying to sort all of that out. We close with the December cotton down 16 points, 70.07. March cotton up to closing at 71.21. I mentioned the falling U.S. dollar earlier. That's really helping out the grain markets. Kansas City wheat closing higher with December up three and a quarter, 5.63 a bushel. New crop July wheat up three and three quarters, 578 and three quarters. The corn market seeing a nice gain with the December contract up four cents, 409 and a quarter. Let's check the energies now. December natural gas down 10 cents, 294. December crude oil down 54 at 3861. On the financial markets, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 589 points. 28,437. The NASDAQ up 328, 11,919. The SP 500 up 79, 3,523. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. As always, I really appreciate you listening, and don't forget, we'll be right back here tomorrow to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin, and this is Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.